at 7. Turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. Jesus knows your pain today. He knows your hurt. He knows your disappointment. If you're tired and weary this morning, just worn out, Jesus knows what it feels like to be worn out. If today you are wrestling with temptation to sin, Jesus knows, yes, Jesus even knows what it feels like to be tempted to sin, to take the stones, to turn them to bread, to take the shortcut rather than go God's way. If you're grieving today, Jesus knows what it feels like to grieve, to stand at the graveside of a dear friend and to weep. Whatever we ourselves experience, Jesus himself has already experienced that. He's had dusty shoes, a dry, thick tongue, thirsty from a long day's work. Did you hear what I said this morning? Jesus knows your pain. God in Christ is no longer far away. God in Christ is near. God stripped off his finery and appeared. How embarrassing. God appeared naked on the day he was born. God rips off medals and rank and puts aside titles and honors and talents and appears like one of us in his birthday suit. Veiled and flesh, the Godhead see, hell the incarnate deity. The incarnation, that is when God himself puts on flesh or skin. In the incarnation, things that are heavenly and things that are earthly are gathered together into one. One and the naked folds and flesh of a baby. God knows what it's like to start life off in this world like we do, helpless and crying. He didn't even have a, a crib, but rather just an animal's feeding trough for his bed. Today, it doesn't matter if you're sitting at home in a bathrobe or you're here in the sanctuary in Brooks Brothers or Levi's, it makes no difference. God knows where you are and God knows through Christ Jesus what you've experienced because he himself has experienced exactly the same. God knows your pain because God put on flesh. We want a God who knows our pain, don't we? We want God to be here, to be here with us. Humanity has always craved a God who is tangible, one you can touch, one that you can see, one that's visible. Think about Job, Job 23. He cried out, he sought God and he couldn't see him and he said, Behold, I go forward, and God is not there. I cannot behold him. Do you remember Philip's first words to the Lord? They were these. 
Lord, just show us the Father, and that'll be enough. Just show us God. We want to see God, Jesus. That will be enough. God had an answer to this universal craving, this craving to see God, to touch God, to know God. That answer was the Bethlehem baby. God puts on flesh as the babe of Bethlehem. Jesus said to Philip when he said, show us God and it will be enough, he said, he who has seen me has already seen the Father. In other words, Philip, I am God. If you see me, you have seen God with flesh on. Before you understand Jesus as a man, however, John wants you to understand Jesus as God. He starts out this magnificent gospel, the fourth gospel, making sure that we realize that Jesus was and is absolutely, fully God. Look at the beginning of John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being by him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. And in him was life, and life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. Though he was not the light, but came that he might bear witness of the light. There was a true light which coming in the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came unto his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. He begins out this gospel with the words, in the beginning. Those words are words that we ought to be familiar with. They are the words of the opening of the first book of Scripture, Genesis. Doesn't it begin that way? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, John says, echoing that wonderful text of Genesis 1-1. He even uses imagery from that creation saga, words like light and life and darkness echoing back to that opening. He's speaking of the same beginning, the same time as the book of Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, the very beginning, and the Word was with God. And make no mistake, the Word was God, he's saying. He wants you to know there was never a time when the Word was not. There was never a time 
when the Word was not. And everything that has been made is dependent upon the Word for its existence. He wants you to realize the antiquity, the eternal nature of Jesus. Unlike anything else or anyone else, Jesus was not created. Rather, Jesus was there in the beginning. He was with God. And most importantly, He was God. Verses 3 through 5, He wants you to know that Jesus was the agent of God's creation. All things were made by the Father, but they were made through the Son. All things were made by the Father, but they were made through the Son. Both the Father and the Son are at work in one great creative act of earth, of humanity, of all that dwells therein. The world is due to God Himself, acting through His Word, His Son. The universe is not eternal. It is not due to some inferior foolish being. But rather the world has a beginning and the Word caused the beginning. The David Letterman show, Larry King, the interviewer himself, was being interviewed by David Letterman and, and Dave asked, if you could interview anyone from history, who would it be? Kind of surprised Letterman when he replied, Jesus. Letterman was silent for just a moment. He really didn't know what to say. He said, well, what would you ask him? I would ask him if he really was born of a virgin. Because the answer to that question would define history itself. Letterman was quiet maybe even for Letterman, reverent for a moment. He looked at the camera and said, we'll be right back. Jesus, born of a virgin, but all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. We need to know along, don't we, with Larry King, was Jesus really God? Is he God in the flesh? Was he really man? And how can both of these things be? After John made us see just how eternal and how much at one the Word is with God, that is, we begin to understand how Jesus is God, none other than God the Creator. He lets us know, skip down to verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, when he began, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, he has said nothing about Jesus to this point. Not even an illusion, is there? And all of a sudden, who is this Word, and how can we know him? He comes to us, he, he reveals it in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word, the creative agent of God, is none other than Jesus Himself, the Son of God. The Word, the one who is 
Nothing less than God, the Word who was God, became punctiliar a moment in time. It happened. The Word eternal became at a moment in time flesh, one of us. Now, it's really even a crude word for flesh. He doesn't say the Word became man. There's a Greek word for that. He could have said the Word became man. He didn't choose to say that. There's another word he, he could have used to say the word took on a body, but he, he got more crude than that. He wanted you not to miss it. The word became flesh, fold, skin, one of us, fully. He became a naked child and dwelt among us. The word for dwelt is the word for tabernacled or putting up one's tent. The word God put up his tent. He tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. He pitched his tent with his people. He cast his lot with us. He came to our location and he came with our limitations. He got tired and he had to sleep. He worked and he sweated. His feet were sore from walking so much the streets of Palestine. He was frustrated with his disciples. How long am I going to have to deal with you? He said. He experienced pain when the thorns pierced his brow. He shed blood, and ultimately, he did the most human thing of all. He died. He was born, and he died. God becoming man. When we think about verse 14 and we think of him as man, it forces us to change all of our ideas about what a man can be. And we, we think about him as God, it changes all the ideas. When we look at that Bethlehem baby about what God can be, a God with skin on. God in Christ is something this world never fully expected. And something we'll never fully understand. Isn't that what Christmas is about? Surprises from God. Zacharias and Elizabeth didn't expect to have a baby in their old age. And, and Mary, a virgin, didn't expect to conceive a child. And, and Joseph didn't expect, he was ready to, to put her away, didn't expect his, his bride, not yet married, to, to carry a child. And Herod didn't expect to be disturbed by the threatening news of a baby. And the shepherds in the field didn't expect the stars to light up and the angels to sing and the kings Never thought they would follow the star to Bethlehem. It's inconceivable that the King of kings and the Lord of lords would enter the world this way. That God actually put on skin. There's a story that circulates, and whether it's true or not, I could not verify, and no one ever will be able to, I suppose. The story circulates that Trinity College in Cambridge has a, a long tradition of sending the students out in the slums of South London, the Camberwell section, to, to do good for the poor in the community. They sleep in the parish hall at night and they work in the, the homes of, of those 
who aren't well and those who are poor during the day. Well, decades ago, the story goes that a, a student from Cambridge Trinity College was helping a, an elderly bedridden woman cleaning out the drains of her sink. And, and she asked him, has anyone ever told you that you look like Prince Charles? He said, honestly, no, no one has ever told me that I look like Prince Charles. Well, even with my dim vision, I, I'll tell you, son, you are a spitting image of the heir to the throne. Well, he was honest. No one ever told him that he looked like Prince Charles because he was Prince Charles. It was unthinkable, unimaginable that the prince would be in her kitchen cleaning out her drain. And so she said, knowing he couldn't be, has anyone ever told you that you're the spitting image of the prince? There's a mysterious down-to-earthness about Jesus' birth that somehow, try as we might, we, we can't come fully to terms with it, and so we pretty it up with architecture and, and music and art, and we can't come to terms with the crudeness of the cradle, the incarnation, and so we try to gloss over it in so many ways. It's hard to hear the story that God came in that Bethlehem baby and we told him, we don't have any room for you. You'll have to go away. The inn is full. To think about the stark smell of animals when he was delivered. The scene of God with flesh shown in a barn is brutal to our senses. But it's true. He knows your pain today. If you're hurt, God knows you're hurt. If you're suffering, God knows you're suffering. If you're humiliated today, God knows your humiliation, crucified naked on a cross, because he has put up his tent and chosen to dwell with his people. Michael Card says, and, and I agree, the implications of Emmanuel, that is God with us, is both comforting and yet also disturbing, is it not? Unsettling, comforting to know that God knows our danger and the drudgery of everyday lives, and he desires to, to both weep with us, and he did weep with us, and he wipes away our tears. The implications, however, are totally unsettling because it's one thing to think that God is far away and that God is a safe distance from us and he looks down on us benevolently, but we have the, the safety of the space. And how unsettling it is when God is no longer far away, but now God is here and God is near. He's no longer the benevolent observer in the sky, but rather that caricature with, with a beard. But now he's become that of Jesus, one who laughed and one who wept and one who weighed and one who broke bread. One who stood by the graveside of a friend. One who fasted and one who feasted and one who was 
fully present with us here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and put up his tent with his people. God was skin on. Jesus didn't remain in the headquarters of heaven receiving reports about the world suffering from below and and shouting down a, a few encouraging words every now and then, intervening here and there, but not always. No, he left the throne of heaven itself and came to us in the front line trenches right down to where we live, to where I live, and to where you live. And he came to where we worry about life. He came to where we're anxious, where we're empty, and where we feel our futility. Theologian Helmut Thickerkley has said, there is nothing he did not endure with us. There is nothing that he did not endure with us. He understands everything. Joseph Bailey writes a song, Lord Jesus, I thank you. Thank you that you were real, a real man. And before that, a real boy. And it hurt when you were planing wood and you got a splinter under your nail and you felt it. And when a stone got stuck in your sandal, you had to shake it out. You had to remove sand from between your toes and slept on hard ground on cold nights, dreaming of foxes with their warm holes. And you got thirsty and hungry and tired, bone tired, tired of crowds, tired because you walked too far. You died, Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that you were real, real God. You healed people's hurts. You even raised their dead. You said to me, Come, if you're tired, and I will give you rest. You fed hungry crowds, and you said, I am the living bread. You came down from heaven. You rose from deadness into life-bringing life. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are real, real God-man. I worship you. I adore you because you bore my sins. You know what it's like to have a splinter under your nail and to die. Because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We can say with all certainty that we have a Savior who knows our sorrows. He knows it all. He knows what it feels like to be disappointed. He knows what it feels like to be misunderstood. He knows what it means to be mistreated. He knows what it feels like to be thirsty and fatigued. He knows what it feels like to have a summer cold. He knows what it feels like to be abandoned by those you think would always be loyal to you. He knows what it feels like to be the brunt of brutal gossip. He knows what it feels like to be tired from a sleepless night. He knows the scorch of the sun, and he knows the burn of the wind. He knows it all, the weeping and the wailing of grief. Jesus has been here. And whatever you propose, whatever you imagine, 
He's been here. And he has done that. He came to suffer with us, to sorrow with us. He came to, to bear our burdens. One writer so powerfully said that Jesus became a human being because God, the compassionate one, could not suffer and lacked a back to be beaten. He needed flesh. The word had to be flesh so the flesh could be broken. That God needed a back like ours to receive the blows, to perform the compassion as well as to live it and preach it. He had to become a man to die for men. He had to become a man to receive on himself the sin of humanity. There's something happening in John. It's verse 10. He, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came unto his own, and his own received him not even as the Christ child comes as that Bethlehem baby, the world rejects him and Herod tries to kill him. He came unto his own. He didn't come to those who didn't know him. He came to those who should have known him. He came to his own nation. He came to his own people. He was dedicated in the temple. He came unto his own and his own would not receive him. Been bad enough if he was rejected by Rome, but he was re rejected by Jerusalem as well. And what about us? Are we ourselves ready just a week from today? Are we ready for his presence? Are we ourselves ready for God to put skin on? Are we ready for the word to become flesh? For God to put up his tent in our backyard and dwell among us. There's a story of a housewife who came to the point where she couldn't wash another dish or change another diaper. You've heard of these kinds of stories. She hit the point. She got in the car and she just took off from the family. That night she called her husband and he was frantic. Where are you? Come home. Why did you leave? She asked about the children. He said they were okay. She just hung up. She called a few nights later and he realized he had to calm down to communicate with her and ask her where she was. She never would say. She asked about the children again. He said, I love you. Please come home. Click. She just hung up again. A few days went by, the same pattern again. The children need you. We miss you. Come home. I love you. Click. She put the phone down. Finally, when he couldn't take it anymore, he took the meager savings of the family and he hired a private investigator, and it didn't take the investigator long. She was in Des Moines, Iowa, and he rented a car and he drove to Des Moines, Iowa, left the kids with the in-laws, and he found her staying at a seedy hotel, a cheap hotel, he had a speech all prepared, ready to deliver, to invite her to come home. He knocked on the door. The speech was forgotten, and he just said, let's go home. A few nights later, when the children had been put to bed, the young husband finally broached the subject, the subject that had been haunting him. 
Honey, each time I called, I told you that I loved you and I wanted you to come home. And why didn't you return? And she replied, all those times, it was only words. And then you came. All the other times, it was only words. And then you came. That's what the Lord did in the person of Jesus. In the past, he had spoken through the fathers. He had the past, he had spoken through the prophets. But then, and the Bethlehem baby, then we really knew he loved us because then he came. And after God put on flesh, things never to be the same again. Will you come home to him? Will you be at home with a God who knows your hurt and knows your pain? Will you embrace a week from today a God who wears flesh? Let us pray. God, there's so much to unpack in those words just spoken. So much to ponder from the fourth evangelist, John. So much to try to comprehend about the Christmas event. Maybe there's someone watching by way of television or there's someone here in this great sanctuary who would say, I finally get it. God came and he knows, and I'll embrace him. And maybe for someone at home or someone here in this great room, it is his day or her day to embrace Christmas, to embrace the Bethlehem baby as the love, forgiveness, and compassion of God. Maybe there are others this morning who'd come and be a part of this loving church family. We'd invite them to come. In the name of Jesus, we pray.